All right, happy Independence Day, church family. Come on, can we celebrate that one more time? Glad that you're here with us. My name is Pastor Chris. I'm the senior pastor here at Evangel. Want to welcome our Evangel Woodbridge family that's tuning in live from Woodbridge right now. Pastor Leslie and the entire team there, we're so glad that you're tuning in. And also our church online family, welcome. We're glad that wherever you find yourself this Independence Day, that we are leaning into God's word together, that we're a part of this service. And uh, you've chosen a great time to be with us. We are kicking off in the month of July a brand new series of messages, and we're starting today. The name of this series is Over It. That's the title of the series. Say it with me, Over It. Now you can think, Pastor, what does over it mean? I'm kind of thinking of someone sarcastically saying, I'm over it. And that's not the goal of the series. Instead, it's to align our lives with a reality that God's Word speaks to. And it's something I think we can miss out on uh, often. There's a powerful truth and principle that comes to us from the book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles, you can take a look at this with me for just a moment. It'll be up on the screen. But I want to give you the foundation of what this series in these next four weeks are going to be about. It says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights, someone say set your sights, on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life, someone says real life, is hidden with Christ in God. This is a powerful passage of scripture, amen? It says, since you and I have been raised to new life with Jesus, if Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life, the Bible says, set your sights on things above. Make the reality of heaven your reality. Set your hearts and your minds on things above, not on what earthly things. But it's hard not to set your mind on earthly things, isn't it? These last 18 months, it's been hard not to get caught up in everything going on around us. And I remember God challenging me and convicting me with this passage of scripture all throughout the pandemic we've been walking through. There were times where we would be figuring out services and what it would look like online and and what, what all these different things would be and waiting and watching as government officials and leaders and national leaders were making decisions. And I said it over and over again. I said, listen, to our team, to our church and our prayer meeting. I'm sure this is not the first time some of you that have been with us have heard me say it, but I said, we understand what's happening here. We don't understand what's happening here. But here's what I want you to know. There is no uncertainty in heaven. That if we could just get a picture of what was happening in heaven, here's what was not happening. God was not wringing his hand saying, what am I gonna do about this pandemic? He wasn't calling the angels saying, angels, what what are we gonna do here? What's happening? God has a plan, amen? God has a purpose. I don't know if you believe that. Woodbridge, God has a plan. He knows what he is doing. He is sovereign over it all. When we say God is sovereign, you know what that means? He's over it. He's bigger than it. He has overcome it. He is able to operate in a place, in a way that we can't even understand. The Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. Much higher And so the beautiful invitation in God's word, the exhortation that comes to us in this passage, we get to set our minds in that place. 
Set your mind on things above. Set your mind over it. Set your mind where Christ is seated. Why is he seated? Because he has already overcome it. Here's what I want you to know. Whatever it is that you might be feeling under right now, Jesus is over. He's over it. It's not that he's beyond it, not that he doesn't care about it, but literally, he is seated over it. He is high and lifted up. And we get to come to a place where we can set our hearts, our minds, and our lives on that reality, not just the reality of earth. So if we're going to live over it in a place of victory, we need to begin to set our hearts and minds on God's reality, his perspective, his priorities. And as we do that, God can change everything. The problem is that many of us, we have those eternal hopes, but we also have some earthly habits. Not only have we set our minds on the things of earth, but that our actions and the way we live start to line up with that more than the reality of heaven. You know, it goes on in this passage to talk about all these earthly things that lurk within us, you know, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malicious behavior, lying. These are the realities of this world. This is the way of this world. Come on, we are not meant to live under that. We're meant to live over that from a place of Christ's victory, not, not under the weight of this world, pain and hopelessness. So in this series, we're going to literally learn how to make some choices that can elevate our lives, that cause us to live from a place of Christ's victory, not hopelessness and defeat. Are you with me? How does that sound? Amen? So that's our desire. That's what we're going to lean into. We're going to make uh, this series four messages of choices we can make to respond to the heart of God, and I believe he's going to change us as a result. So come on, let's pray as we enter into God's word today as we come to this first choice that we can make. If you have your Bibles, would you open with me to Matthew chapter 11? We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word on this day of all days. A day that the world around us looks to our nation and recognizes that for them, maybe it's just July 4th. For us, it's a day of freedom. It's a day of rest when the rest of the world's working. It's a day of just pausing. And today, Lord, on this Sunday, Lord, your day, we pause as well, and we want to look to you, and we want to experience your freedom. And Lord God, we want to experience the fullness of what you have for us. Help us, Lord, to make choices that can elevate our lives, that are aligned to your heart, not the pressures of this world. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. 245 years ago today, 245 years, church, that's a long time ago, there was a declaration that was made. That's what we're celebrating today. It was a declaration of freedom, of independence, signed by the founders of our nation to overcome an oppression and a weight that had been placed on them that had become unbearable. And so they declared their independence from Britain and said, we no longer will be under the weight of your oppression. We're throwing it off and we're becoming a free people. This was something that started with a declaration and led to a revolution. And that revolution has changed everything, maybe in our lives. We're here today where we are worshiping, calling on the name of the Lord because of these moments and events in history that transpired. It was a key moment. And we enjoy an incredible amount of freedom today because of it. In fact, there is now a federal holiday that causes us, whatever we're doing, whatever our jobs might be, wherever you might work, 
There is a holiday, a day of rest that has been placed on the calendar so we could rest and reflect on this freedom and victory. That's powerful to consider, isn't it? And so as we look at this day, and I just think it's such a fitting day for us to think about this, that I believe in the same way God wants to speak to us, that I believe some of us, we are one more declaration away from a freedom that we haven't known. That although we live in a free land, I believe some of us are under a weight of bondage and baggage. We're heavy and oppressed. And I believe the Lord stands ready, Jesus himself, to bring a freedom that you haven't known before. A freedom that you've dreamed of but haven't fully yet experienced it. A freedom that can elevate our lives and help us to experience what God desires for us. Amen? Let's understand what that choice is. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Say that word with me, rest. Come on, one more time, Woodbridge, say it. Rest. How does rest feel? Just saying it sounds amazing. Jesus looked out over a people, and we see in different times where he'll look and he sees with eyes of compassion. At one moment, it said he saw them, they look like sheep without a shepherd. Now in this moment, as Jesus looks out over the people, he sees an oppressed people, a burdened people, a people carrying heavy weights and weariness all over them. And Jesus said, come to me, if that's how you feel, and I will give you rest. Jesus has made a promise, a promise that comes from the heart of God, that his people, everyone that comes to him, can have rest. Rest is so powerful. It's so replenishing. It's, it, 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 it is something that is so close to the heart of God. It's something he desires for his people. In fact, on the seventh day when God was creating the world, he created a day of rest, a day literally to do nothing, but just to enjoy what he had created. God had set a pattern that he desired that to be the same thing for his people. Unfortunately, we've become a restless society. Unfortunately, people have abandoned the idea of entering and experiencing God's rest, and they've chosen instead all kinds of substitutes for that rest that has depleted them, and burnt them out, and caused them to stand on the outside of God's blessing. That's why in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, there's a powerful passage of scripture, and here's what it said. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. Here's a rest that he's prepared for his people. So we ought to tremble with fear. Look at that language. We ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. One of the saddest things is for Jesus to make an invitation and no one actually takes him up on it. For Jesus to say, I have something for you. And you just say, I'm good. I'd rather have this. Jesus is offering rest to the weary and the burdened. And today, if you're weary and burdened, I believe this is a word that's going to challenge you, but I believe it's ultimately a word that can set you free to experience the rest that Jesus has for you. I want to choose that rest. How about you? Come on, I don't hear you. I trust you that you want it because I want it with everything in me because there's a different reality in this world. Many of you, you can go to someone and you ask them how they're doing 
And normally we all, no matter if we're doing good or bad, we always say we're doing, I'm okay. But many, here's what the next thing will say. I'm okay, but I'm really busy. Come on, can I see a show of hands? Who feels busy? Who feels like they're overworked? Who feels tired? Who feels worn out? Who feels like, man, the pace of life is just crazy? There's a word for that. There's a word that I believe has really taken root in our world today. We are living in a time of hurry. Say hurry with me. Hurry, come on. You might hear that more often than you like. Come on, hurry. We got to get there. Hurry. Come on, this is going to start. Hurry. Come on, let's get into the van. Hurry. We live in a hurried culture. Can I tell you something? Hurry is a very dangerous word. Because I want you to know, hurry is the enemy of rest. When you live a hurried life, you have no idea the effects that it's really having on you. You have no idea the way that it's, that, that it's creating something within you that could be dramatically depleting, disastrous. So what is hurry? Hurry, it is defined as the unhealthy hyper-pacing of our lives that leads to depletion, anxiety, and burnout. Hurry is the hyper-pacing of our lives that leads to depletion, anxiety, and burnout. It eats away at us. It pulls away at us. It depletes us. Hurry is the enemy of rest. And so if we are going to live over it, we got to begin to choose rest over hurry. Are you with me? We have to reorient our lives to say, Jesus, I want your rest over the hurry of this world. I want to choose that. Because if this hurry gets in you, and if your life becomes defined by it, here's what you'll begin to find out. It's a machine that never stops, that it never turns off. It's never enough. You know, there's some startling statistics around this. One of them is this, that 50% of Americans report that they don't take their paid time off from their job. Some of you are like, well, if you have some extra, I'll take it. 50% of Americans, can you believe that? Do you know why? They just keep working. And there are some people that not only that, you might work with some of them, they take it as a badge of pride. I got 312 days I've accrued and I haven't, I haven't taken a day of vacation in seven years. Like, that's not something to be proud of. You're working yourself to your bone. Are you, are you with me? You're some people, I'll rest when I'm dead. No, you're going to be dead if you don't rest. That's not something to say. <laughs> that's not funny. You're working yourself, working yourself, working yourself. I'll rest when I'm retired. No, you won't. Here's something that's a new statistic. 25% of men that are retired are now suffering with mental health issues and depression. They have called it now retirement depression. Do you know why? Because when you work, 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 and you're always hurried, and now you say, I have nothing to do, it eats away at you. Now you feel like you've lost your purpose. And you feel something's wrong because you're not hurrying anymore. You don't know how to relax. We don't know how to unwind. How many of us, you take a week off of vacation, and you never actually rest. Your mind is still racing. You feel all bound up. Some people now have to take multiple weeks of vacation because it takes them a week or two to unwind before they can start resting. Come on, do we have a problem? There's a problem right now that I believe is undertaken God's people. Hurry is hurting us. Tell that to your neighbor. The hurry is hurting us. The hurry is hurting us. God's word says, Psalm 127, verse 2, 
It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning to late night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his children. He gives rest to his loved ones. When you think about Jesus, Jesus was very busy, but he was never hurried. Jesus had so many places to be, so many things to do. Jesus was very busy, but he was never hurried. There could be a moment that Jesus is on his way to minister to someone and someone would stop him in the middle of a crowd. A woman grabbed the edge of his garment. That caused him to stop in that moment. He wasn't moving on. There was a different pace that he moved at. It wasn't a hurried pace. It was busy. It was full. But Jesus was able to move to make sure that the pacing, the way that he was ordering his steps in his ministry, a whole life of ministry, everything we read in the Gospels in three years, busy, not hurried. We can be busy. You can be busy. But hurry is a whole different ballgame. Are you with me today? They're not the same thing. Hurry is hurting us. There's actually a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a great read. It's by a pastor named John Mark Comer. And he wrote about this issue of hurry uh, in depth and how to overcome that, how to unhurry your life and find the pace that Jesus would have for you. In that book, he talks about 10 symptoms of something that... Uh, psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors are now labeling as hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. It's literally how the pace of this hurried life starts to hurt you. So there's 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. I'll just give them to you on the screen briefly. See if any of these uh, resonate with you or there's something that maybe you've been experiencing. Irritability, hypersensitivity, um, emotional numbness, out-of-order priorities, a lack of care for your body, escapist behaviors. What does that mean? It means that I'm too tired to actually do things that make my soul better. So I just binge watch things and overeat and overdrink and look at things I shouldn't engage in, things that are, are wrong and aren't helping me but hurting me, looking at things I shouldn't on the internet, whatever that might be, behaviors that are depleting my soul. Slippage of spiritual disciplines, number seven. I don't spend time with the Lord daily. I just, I, I, I just get swept away in all the other demands around me. Isolation. I get isolated. I feel disconnected from God. I feel disconnected from people. I just feel like a machine. Restlessness. When you actually try to slow down, you become restless. You can't relax. Your mind keeps going. You just can't turn it off. And you feel anxious. And you just feel pent up. And then finally, workaholism or just nonstop activity, where you just don't know when to stop or how to stop. You just feel like compulsively you have to keep working, keep doing that, keep, keep following up on whatever those things might be. Hurry has a way of sickening us. It gets into our bones, and if that becomes the pace of our life, here's what I want you to know. It has an effect on us. I mean, there are health effects all over the place of how this isn't healthy. This isn't healthy for you as a person, but I want you to know it's also not healthy for you as a follower of Jesus. I believe a hurried life is incompatible with the kingdom of God. It's incompatible with the call of Jesus. Jesus literally spoke to a Martha who was very hurried and says, Mary's chosen the better time. She's sitting at my feet. She's resting in front of me. Your life cannot be defined by just a hyper pace of things that are going and moving and going because before long you start to feel like a machine. You're not made to be a machine. Are you with me today? It's oppressive. It's something that can harden your heart 
to experiencing God's rest. And that's what happens. Hurry hardens our hearts to God's rest. And it becomes something that can affect us in in terrible ways. You know, you and I, we've experienced the hope of Jesus. Yes, amen. But I want you to know that there there is a concern that God's word says over and over again, that although we're free, we must be mindful that we're not being carried away into something unknowingly. In the book of Galatians, that's happening, where people begin to add extra works and things onto their faith in Jesus, and they start to think it's a good thing. God's word has to correct them. Galatians chapter 5, look at this, this warning that comes to us. Galatians 5 verse 1. Let's look what it says. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Look at this word. This is, I believe this word right here is connected to what is creating the hurry in our lives. I believe for us, some of you think the, 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 the work is the problem. No, the hurry, pastor, it's because of the work. No, the hurry is because of the leagues that my kids are in. No, the hurry is because, of, I want to tell you, it's something bigger than that. Here's what the hurry is really. The hurry is because of a yoke. It's a yoke that we're carrying. It's a yoke that we're under. Did you see what Galatians 5 said? It said, be careful, stand firm, make sure that you don't become subject again to a yoke of slavery. There's a yoke that if we're not careful, becomes connected to our lives that not only gets placed on us, but that we begin to embrace. We begin to say, this is what life is about. When Jesus looked out over a people, he saw people that were heavy burdened. He saw people that were oppressed. He saw people that were weary. Do you know the other time that God looked out over his people and saw that? It was in the book of Exodus when they were slaves in Egypt. And do you want to know what? They were burdened. They were oppressed. They were weary. Do you know why? Because they were slaves. That's what God's word is speaking about. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to a place of slavery when Jesus has set you free. Don't take on a yoke that's going to deplete you and lead you to death. Jesus said, come to me if you're burdened. He looked out over a people. In one place, when we see it, when Jesus had compassion, it said they look like sheep without a shepherd. I believe that as Jesus looked out over the people, he saw people carrying heavy yokes. He saw people that were like oxen. If you see how this works, this is what oxen or other animals would use, a yoke. This has been used for thousands of years. Would be placed on their shoulders, strapped around their necks, and you can see it right here in the picture, and it would be used to pull, to plow, to carry heavy things. Yokes could also be placed on a person where they would be used to carry like buckets or heavy items, and that helps them to make the load a little bit lighter, but it creates a burden and a weight on them. Can you imagine this pressing on them? Jesus saw, he saw people that were heavy burdened. He saw people that were laboring. And I want you to know there's a reason Why Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest because rest is this powerful reality that separates us from slavery and brings us in and helps us to remember that we're free. We're who God created us to be. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter five, this is the middle of the 10 commandments when God's giving 10 commandments that would define his relationship with the people of God. 
These are the big 10. I mean, there are 613 laws and commandments that God gives in the Old Testament, but these are the big 10. These define the relationship between God and his people. Why did God give them to them? He gave them to them in the wilderness because for 400 years they had been slaves in Egypt. They had literally forgotten their identity. Do you know what their identity was? Slavery. Do you know where their worth came from? The work that they did. Do you know what happened if they couldn't do that work anymore? They were worthless. That's the mentality that permeated Egypt because there wasn't a God in Egypt that had the heart of our God. There was a Pharaoh in Egypt and he was a taskmaster and he saw himself as a God. And a God of Egypt, this God of Egypt, he was relentless. And he said, you work and you work and you work and you work and you find no rest. You'll rest when you're dead. That was literally, that was Egypt's mentality. But if you're still breathing and you're still moving, then you're working. And your life is defined by your work. And your worth is defined by your work. Can you understand how easily for 400 years, if that's everything you and your children and your children's children and their children and your great-great-grandchildren, if that's all they've ever known, do you understand that you can have an identity crisis? Do you understand a, part, a big part of God bringing um, the Israelites out of Egypt into the wilderness is because in the wilderness he was trying to get Egypt out of the Israelites. He got them out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of them. That's why they died in the wilderness because they had been set free physically, but there was still so much in them that clung to that old identity and turned from the heart of God. And so God takes the most time in giving the Ten Commandments to say this, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. God is literally commanding his people to say, listen, every week you take one day and you rest from everything. I command you not to work one day a week. Could you imagine if your boss came and said, I demand, I demand, I'm giving you a week's paid vacation, I demand you take it. How many of you are like, oh, can you believe him? He's such a tyrant. He would give me all this time off just to enjoy myself. Are, are you, you understanding this? Our God in heaven said one day a week, it's a day of rest. It's a day of doing nothing. It's a day of just resting, worshiping, reflecting, delighting in me. And then he gives them more understanding of why. Deuteronomy 5.15. He said, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. But the Lord your God brought you out with a strong hand and a powerful arm. That is why the Lord has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath. Why? Because every week you can become reminded you are not a slave anymore. You are free. Your work doesn't define your worth. You are his. It's not about your work. It's about his work. Every week he said, I want you to Sabbath. I want you to rest. I want you to reflect I want you to understand that you're not a machine. You're not a slave. You are mine. And I am victorious. And you can rest in me. That's what he wants them to do, to remember. So I said to you, I said, the problem is a yoke. I really believe that. This is called a tandem yoke. Tandem yokes were used for oxen and different kinds of animals. And it would also be used to help train them. So you would have an experienced oxen in one of them he would know how to plow the field he would know the pace to move out all those things and you would have a younger oxen that could be tied in yoked with him 
And when this one comes in, it could want to go all these different ways and move, but it's the more experienced one when they're yoked together that determines the pace. I want you to say something with me. The yoke creates the pace. The yoke creates the pace. I want you to know it's not a work problem. It's not, it's not a, a this day. It's not a, it's not a career problem. It's a yoke problem. There's a yoke that's creating a pace in your life. What you're yoked to sets the pace for your life. Who you're yoked to sets the trajectory of your life. That's why the Bible says be mindful of who you're yoked to. It says don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. What does that mean? That if you become yoked together, you're choosing to enter in. You're now with each other. You're now one. You're now connected. And guess what? There's a different direction. There might be a different trajectory. There might be different priorities. There might be a different pace that's being set. All this is in place here. Who are you yoked to? What are you yoked to? And here's what I want you to know. Some of us, we didn't even realize it, that our work has become our yoke, that these other things in our lives have become our yoke. And for some of us, if we can just step back and think about it, Last year in February, we preached a series called 24-6 about how we have to be a people that experience God's rest. And some of us, we were convicted by that word, amen? What happened a couple weeks later? The whole world shut down. And some of us thought, oh man, this is like four Sabbath, pastor. I don't have to go into the work anymore. I don't have to go to my job. Can you remember for a while, it became really interesting because we felt like, wow, like there's all this like, what's going on? Fast forward over a year later, and we're not feeling rested. We're not, we're not feeling any of those things, and we're wondering why. I work from home now. Why do I feel crazier than I did before when I worked in the office? I, I work from home now. I thought that life was going to get easier. No, what you didn't realize is you took the yoke home. You used to leave it for the weekend. Now it's sitting in a room in your house. It's sitting at a desk. And you have no idea. That now you're never unplugging. Or is it, come on, am I talking to someone today or is this just me? We know what we're talking about here. The yoke is with us. That yoke, and again, it could be your work, it could be your career. I'm telling you that there are so many things, if it's going to create bondage in your life, it's, it could become a yoke. The yoke of slavery. It could be some things that you're doing. It could be an unhealthy fixation to your phone, to a screen, to some kind of addiction, whatever it might be. But there's a yoke today, and that yoke is creating a hurry anxious pacing in your life that you can never stop, you can never disconnect. It's a yoke problem. Are you with me today? So what does Jesus say the answer is? Come to me. Come on, worship team. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden. I will give you rest. And what is the next thing Jesus says, verse 29? Come on, somebody, look at the screen. Take my yoke upon you. He knew it was a yoke problem. Exchange the yoke that you've been carrying for the yoke that I have for you. He said, let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle of heart and you will find rest for your souls. I'm I'm telling you with everything in me, there's a yoke that some of us are carrying and caught up in that's breaking us down and, and, and creating an unhealthy pace in our lives that's contrary to the heart of God. He wants to give you rest. He wants to give you more than you could ever imagine. He said, my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light, verse 30. Take my yoke on you. Come on, how how does that sound compared to what we've been walking through? How does that sound maybe compared to what you've been faced with in life? Some of you, man, there's a yoke that's been 
driving at you, pulling you down, holding you down. But today Jesus says, I have something better for you. I have a life that's better for you. I have rest for you. How can we experience this? It's kind of bound up in this passage. I want to give you four things on how we can come to Jesus and experience this rest. The first thing we have to be willing to do if we're coming to Jesus is we have to be willing to surrender. That's the first thing. You surrender your, your, your whole life. If you've never come to Jesus before, maybe you feel all this anxiety, you feel this restlessness because you've never come to Jesus and he's never been able to give you rest yet. He stands ready. His arms are wide open. Don't think you've disqualified yourself. Don't think that he's going to turn you away because of the wrong choices that you've made or the brokenness in your life or whatever that might be. I want you to know we all have junk. We all have sinned. The Bible says it. There's only one difference, though. Jesus has been able to forgive us because we've asked him to. And he stands ready to forgive anyone who would ask him, anyone who would repent, anyone that would turn from their sin. The Bible says the Lord stands ready to forgive you of unrighteousness if you're willing to come and receive that. That's why he died on the cross. But you have to come and surrender. You don't come and hold on to your old life. You don't come with your terms and conditions. You don't come setting the, the, the relationship. Jesus has done that. You come and just surrender and say, Jesus, all I am, all I have, all my past, all my brokenness, I surrender it to you. Once you do that, you know what's going to happen? There's a weight that's going to fall off your life. You're going to feel freedom for the first time. The second, Jesus said, he said, take my yoke on you. Whenever Jesus talks about a yoke, and when rabbis would do that, that was often also not just talking about a physical yoke. It was talking about his teaching. It was talking about his way of understanding God's word, his direction coming under him. So the second word is submission. Say submission. It means that I'm willing to come under Jesus. His word is my priority. His way is my way. I'm submitting my life to follow him. I'm coming under Jesus. Jesus said, come to me, and he says it over and over again. I'll give you rest. You'll find rest. So if you're going to submit your life to Jesus, if you're really going to be serious about following him, we don't talk about this enough, but part of submitting your life to Jesus is that you practice Sabbath rest. Come on, hear me today. This isn't some optional idea. This isn't something just to say, oh, whatever. Here, here's the deal. We take the Sabbath, and as one pastor said, we can take the Sabbath or the Sabbath will take us. We had a pastor who, who I read about. He never took Sabbath rest. He never turned off. He never unplugged. Years went by of that. And finally, he, he burned out and he had to take rest. It took him months to recover. And you know what it was? It wasn't that God was punishing him. God was giving him all the Sabbaths that he had forsaken for years. He needed that. We were made to experience that rest. We need to. It's incompatible with our lives to try to keep going and not resting. Not exchanging our, our, our work work for our homework. Not about that. Getting everything done that you can get done so you say, you know what, there's nothing on the agenda but just resting. Don't feel guilty about that. The world will make you feel guilty but I want you to know it's a part of what Jesus has offered us. It's a part of what God has made for us. But you don't have to wait for just one day a week to experience rest. Jesus said, come to me, and every time you come to me, I'll give you rest. And this is the final part of what I believe it means for us to come to Jesus. It means that we have to be willing to come to him every day. 
And so I'm going to just use this term, the secret place. We need to come to the secret place. The secret place is the place so we can be alone with him. See, Jesus, as though he was busy, his itinerary was full. The Bible says in multiple cases, he would often withdraw early in the morning to a solitary place to pray and be with his father. And you know what? That was a model for us. If Jesus, the son of God, had to get away regularly to the secret place to be with his father, how much more do we need that all the time? So guard that place with your life. It's not a part of your schedule. It's the priority of your schedule. Make that a priority of your day every day. Lord, I need to be alone with you. Maybe it's at the beginning of your day, at the end of your day. Maybe it's at the beginning of the day, in the middle of the day, and at the end of your day. But be with the Lord as often as you're able to find rest in him. Amen? I know my wife and I can attest to it. When we spend that time in God's presence early in the morning, when we're worshiping and pressing in, it sets the trajectory for our day. But if you miss that, you feel it, you're restless. Are you with me? Come on, would you stand to your feet with me today? God has established a better way, a better choice. A choice that can elevate your life is to choose rest over hurry. I want to choose that. How about you? I want the rest that Jesus is promising. I want to experience that. For some of you, when you saw this yoke today, it hit you because some of you, this is a picture of what your life feels like right now. And I've been praying and I've been asking God if he would do something and I feel prompted to call an altar in just a moment because I believe God can fulfill his word. I believe that he will do that. And I came across a passage of scripture that God has just been speaking to my heart. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. The Lord says, in that day, the Lord will end the bondage of his people. He will break the yoke of slavery and lift it from their shoulders. Some of you have found yourselves in a yoke there's a yoke that has been weighing your life down. It is heavy and burdensome. And I just believe today, if you come to Jesus, he's gonna break that yoke and lift it off of you. And he's gonna put his yoke on you. And for some of you, I believe this is a defining moment in your life. I believe this has the power to change your career, to change you as a parent, to change you as a spouse, to change you. But defining moments call for decisive action, that you're willing to actually take a step with God. And so I'm gonna invite you in just a moment if this message has been speaking to you. Wherever you are, if you're in Woodbridge, I'll invite you to go to the altar at Woodbridge. If you're here in person, you can get to this altar. I'll wait for you. If you're in one of our overflows, come here. If you're outside and you just wanna walk towards the front, do it. But I believe we need to take a step today. And here's what I'm gonna invite you to do. If you feel weighed down, burdened, if you feel, God, I need this. I feel there's a yoke over my life that's been weighing me down that's been burdening me. And Lord, I want the rest that you promise. I want you to come because we're gonna pray for you. And I just believe in this moment, the Lord's gonna fulfill his promise. So if that's you, just come. Right now, there's no shame, there's no embarrassment. This is a cry saying, God, I need you, Jesus. I need you to meet me in this moment. So if that's you, just come. Come to this altar quickly and we're gonna pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just come across this altar wherever you find yourself. If you're in the balcony, go ahead. We're gonna wait for you. So come on down. Because as we put Jesus at the center of our lives, he has a way of changing everything and transforming everything. He has a way of slowing down and saying, listen, Martha, there's so much that you're doing, but Mary's chosen the better way. I'm bringing you to a place where you can sit at my feet, where you can experience my rest, where that hurry, that pacing that's been pulling at you, 
grinding you to the bone, the Lord is just ready to set free. Come on, I'm gonna invite our prayer team and some of our pastors, if you're here, just come around some of those that have responded to the altar today. Wherever you are, if you're at home right now, this word is hitting you. I want you to lift your hands to heaven in this moment. We're gonna pray. We're gonna ask the Lord just to meet us in his own sweet way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come on, church family, just begin to pray. Would you begin to intercede? If you're standing in the gap for someone else, would you just begin to pray for them right now? Jesus, we come before you right now in this moment, Lord God. We thank you for your promise to bring rest to the weary and the burdened. We thank you today, Lord God, that you meet your people where they are and you desire to give them a freedom that maybe they haven't felt in a long time. Lord, if there's anyone today, Lord God, unknowingly, Lord God, they finally see, Lord, maybe what's been contributing to so much frustration, anxiety, depletion, Lord God, it's this idea of your rest, Lord God. And so, Lord, we wanna be a people that will choose that rest first, that will cling to it, that will experience it regularly, daily, weekly, Lord God, and that you will move in our midst. But right now we pray, Lord God. Come on, if you know that there's a heaviness on your life and you want to ask the Lord just to lift it, to break that yoke in this moment, lift your hands to heaven. Jesus, we come before you right now. I pray for every person that's crying out to you, for every person that feels that heaviness over their life. We thank you, Lord God, that you said, Lord, the spirit of the Lord has anointed you, Lord God, to to relieve, to lift heaviness, Lord God, off your people, to break the yoke, Lord God, that would bind your people. So in the name of Jesus, we ask you right now, come and fulfill your promise in our day. Thank you, Lord God. These are a people that are reaching for you. You say, come to me and I'll give you rest. Right now, Lord God, would that yoke be broken and would your yoke be placed on their shoulders right now? Light and easy, free of burden in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray from this moment forward, Jesus, we're yoked to you. Set the pace of our lives. Help us to move at the pace of your heart. Help us, Lord God, to be led by your spirit, guiding us and leading us. Lord God, may hurry and overworking all these realities of this world take a back seat to the pacing that you would have for our lives. Help us, Lord, speak to us. Give us incredible wisdom and understanding. But above all, Lord, I thank you that you're setting people free from some expectations that the enemy might have been placing, that others have been placing, but Lord, you have not placed them. So when we take your yoke, Lord God, we live under your leading. So Lord, lead us, guide us, free us today. On this day, Lord, we're declaring our dependency on you. We yoke ourselves with you, Jesus. We receive that. We receive your rest. Lord God, we want to move. Lord, help us not to come out from under this, but to move in the way that you'd lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, would you praise God with me today? Come on, we're going to go into a song of worship. As we worship, I want you just to continue. If you're at this altar, keep pressing in. Just keep letting the Lord minister to you. We're going to pray and cry out that Jesus would be the center of our lives. You're free to do that as well here. There's no rush out today. If you have children, please feel free to pick them up. But let's just continue to worship. There'll be no formal dismissal today. God bless you. Have a great Independence Day. We'll see you Wednesday and next Sunday morning.